right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I am your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me are the dudes over here with the captain, Mr. Andy Full and Mr. Adam Deacon. What's going on, fellas? Not much. Not much, man. Happy to, to be here with another Monday Night Live, another Elite Series guy coming in. So excited to uh, get to talk to everybody. But, man, things are good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're we're hanging in there. I'm battling possibly losing a voice. So if I sound really quiet, oh. guys, I think it's due to being outside in the cold and wind and rain for like three of the last four days for about 12 hours a day. But that's fishing life. So guide life. Yeah, I can't complain <laughs> yeah. about that. He says it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's wonderful. So, I mean, I'm 31 years old living the dream that a lot of people wish they could. So, it, only going up from here, it's it's fun. Heck yeah, so, yeah. dude. I, I'm sure, you know, Josh, we've had on the show before. For, you know, for folks tuning in that uh, haven't seen, obviously, we're having Josh Douglas on the show tonight. And we had him on previously, and we talked about him <laughs> guiding. I think that's literally like when you were getting your start, Andy. Um, so I'm sure you're kind of starting to feel some of the things that Josh was talking about in the previous show, mm-hmm. but, uh, but Deacon out there in Colorado is starting to look like our new, uh, podcast background here. Dude. Yeah. It, uh, it, it kind of shut down, but it snowed earlier today, man. Um, it kind of like some big flakes and stuff too. I was, uh, I was impressed. I was like, Oh, I guess it is starting to snow, but I leave, uh, for Havasu this weekend so um ready to go to the desert and already be back to like not cold weather <laughs> so <laughs> short-lived for me but i'll be back in it i'm sure yeah Heck yeah dude well boys uh i think the first order of business we have uh to tell the folks is tonight we are giving away a pair of hobie eyewear sunglasses and uh these are the uh the Let's andy full specials as i like to call them because it's like <laughs> the only one that andy wears yeah, and they're he looks like Zach Galifianakis every time yes. he wears them. <laughs> so good. I got them sitting right here. So a lucky are they, winner. Are they Sightmaster Plus? We'll be too, winning no? some of the in the Sightmaster lenses. So these are the juice lenses. Oh, yeah, those those are the so, uh, you guys want a pair of these? Uh, basically, get your comments in, and we're just gonna pick a lucky winner tonight, and uh, be walking away with some Hobie Eyewear shades. I'll be shipping them right to your doorstep, and uh, so. Something kind of cool to go right in stride with that. A really cool announcement for the first couple of weeks uh, leading into Thanksgiving is that Hobie Eyewear and Serious Angler Podcast are running a pretty cool uh, discount special for the next two weeks. Uh, if you're looking to uh, find a good stocking stuffer, a really cool Christmas present, uh, these uh, shades are already like performance-wise top-notch and for the price, and now you get 35% off. Yeah, uh, and you can go for the next two weeks from now, like today until November 14th, you can get 35% off any of your Hobie eyewear orders uh, using code Sirius 35. And we'll leave that down in the description as well. Uh, just head over to the website and you guys can get your orders in for dirt cheap. And uh, it's a Huge great way shades. to, uh, if you got a family member in fishing or you just, you got a family member that needs some new shades and you want a good pair for cheap, Head over, use that code, and it's it's a good steal. So um, that'll be running until November 14th. And uh, we got some videos coming out that have to do with Hobie Eyewear and some stuff for 2022 that's pretty exciting. So uh, either way, I'm pumped to give away some shades tonight. Should we add some rules to this, or we're just going to give away to some, some random commenter? Mm. 
What are we thinking, boys? Should we? Should uh, we do well, it? we don't want spam comments, so I'm thinking it has to be a good question. Good I'm, question. I'm down for a question. I, I'm not the biggest fan of like trivia questions for stuff. Um, it makes Deacon think. Yeah, it, that's right. It, it's like it gets to a point where it's just too much, and I just, it, you know, it just it goes out. So I lose, and I, I hate losing. So that's probably part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here's what we can do. Uh, I think the best question you know, what we used to always do is when we give stuff away, it would be the best question. So for folks that give the best question, uh, I think we should put some pressure on our guest today, Mr. Josh Douglas. And uh, the folks with the, the best question for Josh tonight, Josh will hand select the winner. Does that sound good to you, Josh? You're down there in the queue. Give a thumbs up if that sounds good to you. He gives Perfect. us a nice thumbs up. All right. So pressure's on, guys. Get your questions in because Josh will be picking the winner. And uh, before we get Josh on here, there's two things uh, I want to go over. First one is kind of selfish, um, but the, we have a question here asking if I'm putting Mega Live on the kayak. Uh, yes, I definitely plan to. I have 360 on it, uh, and that helped me yesterday smash my personal best with a uh, seven-pound, two-ounce largemouth up here in New York. So selfishly, mega, just want to throw that out there because I still think I have a heart rate of 180 since trying I to catch smallmouth. <laughs> yeah, small mouth fishing and largemouth comes up out of nowhere. But I was okay with it. It was great. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll throw some pictures up maybe towards the end of the show. And then the last thing I wanted to throw out there, and we're not going to get into this too much because I don't really like to discuss topics that don't have all the information and all the facts, especially if I'm not you know, experiencing it. I'm not a college angler, so I'm sure people know where this is going. Is there's a whole you know de like debate of college scheduling and all that jazz, uh, and what I'll leave it at is that uh, the folks over at A1 Angler Development did a really cool podcast and kind of laid it out very neutral, uh, laying out all the facts and stuff that's for the anglers. And that link is down in the description of the show if you guys want to go listen to that and see what's going on over there. But um, my only point on that is let's just do what's best for the anglers that are coming up because that's the future of fishing. Uh, any any other input before we bring on Josh here, guys? No, I mean, uh, if there's any way to further improve, like grooming those kids and getting them better for like after life of college, I mean, it can't be just fishing all the time, in my opinion, because there are other things that these kids have to look forward to. But if you get good coaches and you can groom them up, it's even better for solving life issues. So. Apologize for my rant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I, I, I am not 100% aware of the situation. I saw the schedules get released, but I'm not uh, well-versed on it at all. But I fished in college all four years um, and uh, and really enjoyed it. But, um, no, I think it's a, it's a great way to, to get on some bodies of water. And, um, yeah, it, I'm curious to kind of see exactly where that went. But I'll have to tune into that podcast for figure things out. Yeah, and you know, maybe it's if people want us to talk about it, we can go into it at the end of the show. But uh, I guess to really lay it out there is uh, I think Bass has an event that's two days before the start of the Major League Fishing College Championship. So in, in reality, you can easily make that. If you're determined enough, you can make both events. You might not have however many days of practice you want, but you can make both. So I can vouch for the argument of, you know what, if you really want to get after it, you're just going to have to, you know, suck it up and you'll make both events because, yeah. I mean, John Thompson, he couldn't make all the events he knew what he was getting into. But 
Yeah. Um, on the other side, I do see of trying to do what's best for the anglers, but yeah, it, again, it's, thing for the college kids because I mean, that's a lot of finances they have to work out in a short period of time as well. So, yeah, I, I but, get and it. here's here's and this is my last point. I keep saying that's gonna be my only point. But this yeah. is my last point, and we'll get Josh on <laughs> my last that's point, and then about. ten more points. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Is a lot of college anglers I was seeing in comments, and there's very talented, very smart kids. But a lot of them were, you know, talking about oh, almost seem more fishing focused for college. But if you're in college, you need to be focusing on that degree. Yes, I yes, I agree that college fishing is a step to the professional levels. But if your only goal in life is to just fish, I mean, I feel I guess I can have an argument for trying to take the working route and fish in the opens or something like that along those lines. But for that's, sure. a, that's a whole other like topic for a whole other show. Don't go to college, go to trade school, fish local and regional tournaments instead of blowing $120,000 on a college education. Mm. So like, I got some, I got some, I got some arguments here too, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say them because let's get Josh on. Yeah, we'll talk, about it we'll, we'll talk about it after the show. All right. All right. Without further ado, let's get him on here. <laughs> Mr. Josh Douglas, what is going on, sir? Uh, what's up, everybody? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good evening. Yeah, Absolutely, dude, it's good it's good to get you back on the show. It's been a little while. Yeah, I think a year. Yeah, is it year, almost? I, me- I messed up the time zone last time. I won't forget. I don't <laughs> yeah. ever forget because I think I you were hunting, right? Yeah, I was hunting. Yeah, same thing I was going to do earlier, and I was like, man, I can't screw up the time zone. I kept looking at the <laughs> thing. Yeah, I even double checked with you, Bailey, this morning to just be like Central Time, right? Yeah, I got that text this morning, and I was like, hey, he's on top of things this time. (laughs) No, no, dude, it's good to get you back on. I think first and foremost is a hell of a congrats, man, on qualifying for the Elite Series. I know you've been at it, and it shows that persistence pays off. Uh, I think everyone knows that if there's anybody out of the guys that qualified through the Opens, there's no one more deserving of you for the time and effort that you put in. And uh, it's going to bring into some interesting questions with – Kind of uh, some of the stuff that was talked on uh, with some of the, our recent guests that qualified for the Opens, like Jonathan and, and Alex. And, yep. um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I think first things first, dude, is have you, has it sunk in yet? Have you kind of gotten to the point where you're like, you know, you're preparing for the elite season next year? Is it go, go, go? Or are you kind of like taking a few weeks off? What's it been like? Yeah, it's been uh, – it's it's sunk in now. It You know, it didn't really – like it all happened and it actually happened, you know, at the, at, when the puck, you know, once it was all said and done after Lake Norman. And then I literally came home and I had weeks of guide trips already for people out of state. So I kind of went right back into fishing right away. And I mean, it did. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely sunk in. I kind of thought I was going to honestly earlier in the year. I said it to Bree uh, when things were some things were just weren't going right for me. Other things were going too right. And it was like, man, this is something's something's going on so i kind of i kind of felt like it was going to happen but uh yeah no it's sunk in and and uh we're getting kind of an abnormally warm fall i'm sure y'all are too uh we should be about done fishing here by now it's deer hunting season starts here in like a couple days but it's i mean they're talking about mid 50s still so i've been sneaking around a little bit doing a little bit of fishing and trying to do some uh trying to do some hunting and stuff just to decompress a little bit it's it was kind of a super long season because when you fish multiple tours like i have multiple circuits and then when you add in that whole covid delay kicked everything into the fall 
last year, it just seems like we just never stopped. Like it was a, you know, a two year run. So trying to, trying to take some, take a deep breath and all that real quick. And then we'll be right back at it here before I know it. Heck yeah, dude. Well, sure, here's, I think one of the more interesting things to me, and I'm curious to see, you know, what preparations you have lined up um, going into your first elite series season is, I think amongst all the guys that have qualified, I think you're the most prepared from the business side. And I think a lot of people know there's a lot of guys, I shouldn't say a lot, there's a handful of guys in the industry that are really good at the fishing and really good at the business and know how to combine the both of them. And it's easy to say that you're one of them. So I got to say, you, you have to feel pretty comfortable going into the Elite Series season, being able to fo- focus more primarily on the fishing side than not worry about have to having to accrue this business side of the game. Yeah, definitely. I've had that. I've had that now for a few years. Uh, once Bree, my wife, was able to come and travel, uh, start traveling with me, and we took the took it on the uh, on the sh- uh, took the show on the road as as a team. I've kind of had that where I just can focus on fishing every day, and she can make sure the the you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. She tells me what to do. Obviously, I got to get in front of the camera and do stuff like that. She definitely bosses me around, but uh, at the end of the day, I can kind of leave the business things to her and. Uh, and just make sure I'm I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do and really focus on fishing, man, because I'm, I mean, some guys are like stupid talented on the water, stupid talented off the water. I'm not one of them. I definitely have to be focused on what I need to do to do my job. And so she, she makes that easy. But as far as the sponsorship goes, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, I, it's been a 10 year run at the opens. Um, I'd say half of those years I fished all the circuits, the other half only one you know one if i could just fit in whatever i could mostly once i was fishing the flw tour and stuff and um yeah so from a sponsor level i was pretty sponsored going into you know i've I've been relatively sponsored so now it's kind of my my sponsor's time to shine and take that stage and it's been pretty pretty turn pretty turnkey for me as far as you know I'm, i'm just sitting there trying to catch up now and trying to you know, watch as many of those Bassmaster lives and all that that I can to get re-caught up on some of these fisheries that I just, you know, never been to before. But uh, yeah, it's it's an exciting, it's going to be an exciting ride, a good change of pace, and um, from the sponsor level and and on the water level, I've just it's perfect timing is perfect. Yeah, I think I I think I heard a similar quote from Fighter after he won AOI was like, I've always had my sponsors there, I've been putting all the work in. Now it's their time to be like, all right, pay up, boys. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I got the attention now. We're at the big leagues. Time for you guys to, to put in the work. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And fighter, I mean, dude, that you're talking about the ultimate top of the sport right yeah. now. You know, he's he's holding the crown. Killer, killer season uh, for him. And, and dang right, dude, he better be. Because if he's not, then who the heck, then what, what are the rest of us doing? They better <laughs> right, be uh, sure. <laughs> calling him and throwing money at him because he ain't going away for sure not at all but yeah definitely you know the the that just got you know there i was in i was in the same boat with my sponsors whether i just fished the opens next year if i fish a circuit or if i fished the elites you know just congratulations you know they just want me to fish where i want to fish and where i'm most happy and uh then you'll get the results that you want to get to you know absolutely sure you know josh you made a point there um about how you're wanting to go back and study some film and that kind of a thing on some of these lakes that you aren't necessarily used to being on um i mean i think that a lot of people don't there's a lot of overlap in tournament fishing on certain bodies of water right uh that are always hit consistently 
but um, of the kind of the new and upcoming schedule, you know, obviously fish the tour a long time and the opens, but what kind of, what's new to you uh, that the elites seem to be hitting recently or, or where, where, did, where did that statement come from? Yeah. You know, as, as exciting as the elite schedule is, you have one, one thing you, you definitely have. I mean, there's, there's hammers littered of those 92 anglers. There's a lot of them that'll take my lunch money and my entry fees real quick if you're not prepared. So you have that aspect of trying to get prepared. And then they do have a little bit of a reputation for hitting certain lakes multiple times. Sure. Uh, St. Lawrence, Lake Fork, uh, looking at St. John's, like I, I generally do real well in Florida. I can usually count on Florida if all things go, go correct, of course, to leave there with points to start the season right away. I've never been to the St. John's. I've actually been like around the boat ramp once for a Shimano shoot for like all of three hours and then gone. So <laughs> I, I don't have any, any real knowledge. Um, Harris chain, you know, I feel pretty good. Harris chain. I've had opens there. We go, it was a perennial tour stop. I've had top thirties. I've cashed a lot of checks at the Harris chain. Um, you know, and that's one they haven't really been to, you know, now the yeah, Johnston, yeah. Johnston's queen clock, Gussie, all of them did well. And a lot of the opens guys that are through there have now been there. But as far as the main elite field, you know, hasn't been there. So you got a little bit of a catch, but I think, you know, it, it is going to be a little something. I got to definitely go set the camper up and just at least idle around and get familiar with the boat ramps are of a few places you take uh, South Carolina. I've never been there before. Lake Fork, I've been there a couple of times. I think I hit a couple stumps and said, my God, are those rocks or are those stumps? And basically <laughs> left after that. So I got a lot of work to do there. But And even even the St. Lawrence, you know, the St. Lawrence is my first time being there this year. I mean, the MLF had us damn near in Montreal. So I was so far yeah. away from where all the action will go down once the elites are back there. And I've never been able to even go to the Canadian side of of uh, you know on, uh, ontario really was an afterthought it was so far away and then i've never been able to go to the canadian side so that's like their playground i feel like they've been there every year for the last 10 years so i'm gonna def but it's my strong suit it's smallies so i'm sure definitely excited for it so i'm gonna have to you know put in some time Hawaii. you know i finally get one that's kind of close to me and i've never been there a day in my life Hawaii, south dakota like yeah. But lacrosse, it, it should be fun. It should be fun. Chickamauga, I lived there before, so I'm pretty pumped. And Pickwick, I've never been there, but I do like ledge fishing and offshore stuff. So I'm 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 expecting to be pretty good. I there's <laughs> I've had I'll tell you one thing, guys. I've had you always want to know a fishery, you know. I mean you do. But preconceived notions have killed me plenty of times in bass fishing. So it's not always a bad thing to show up especially in time about places like florida it seems like that place changes every single year i go there it looks so different so uh definitely optimistic about and i seem to do well on big fish factories and the elites definitely go to big fish factories so that part of it i'm looking forward to too i think this is josh douglas's bassmaster fantasy fishing campaign yeah <laughs> it no, sounds I, like it i have been there a bunch but uh Definitely. I, I'd pick me. I, I, for sure, I'd pick me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So it, is a me years, it is dude, a campaign. It is a campaign. Yeah, right. I actually well, kind of forgot about that because we didn't have that fantasy fishing part. So that's part of it. That part of it's kind of cool to have a little something going there. But yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you know. So our Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing Series we do, we have Adam Bartuzik, who you well know. Yep. And uh, yep. he pretty much picked either uh, Bob Downey. Seth Fighter, 
or, or Austin uh, Felix. Or every Austin tournament. Felix. Homer. He was the Felix. Every tournament. Yeah. And he said last show that Josh Douglas will be the new one to that. So every yeah, year yeah. he get picked on every fantasy fishing. <laughs> he's he's a yeah. homer, obviously. Yeah, he picks <laughs> he picks the, the boys from back home for sure. So yeah, that'll hey, that'll be he good. Did well you know? with it. Dude. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Well, he picked a couple good fishermen, a few good, a few good fishermen there. There's a patch lapper. I know Jay Pizarak just qualified. Yeah. I mean, he's a Wisconsin yeah. guy. Seems like a lot of northern boys are starting to, uh, starting to kind of get get a hold of the the game, and it's pretty versatile up here. You guys know that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Jake is pretty cool because his dad is uh, fishes the NWT. A so. hammer. Yeah, yeah, no, a hammer. Like he's not just a walleye guy. Either. Like he'll smash. He'll beat us up in smally tournaments too. They they can fish that family for sure, no doubt about it. But it should be pretty turnkey for Jay too. You know, come in and dad kind of look over him and all that. It's a it's a good time. It's pretty cool. There's a good good crop of anglers definitely that qualified aside from me for sure. Yeah, I want to go back to a quick point. So you mentioned how sometimes preconceived notions can burn you, and that you mentioned you haven't been to the St. Johns River. I think with how much that place has changed in the past couple of years, unless you're a Cliff Prince or a guy like yourself going with a fresh mind, I feel like you guys got yeah. the advantage because it's brand new versus guys that have a preconceived notion when it had grass. And now you're, now you can go into the fresh mind and maybe you do better than the guys that have actually been there before. And, and, you know, aside from just, like I said, not just St. John, Florida's just that way. I mean, very few lakes am I willing to just delete my waypoints when I leave. And Florida is one of them. Like it just, if you see it every day, it doesn't look like it changes. But if you go, if you go there January, February, March, every year, it changes every you know year so much. So Florida just in general um, is a, it's just one of those places, but yeah, man, it's, it's exciting. You know, I got, I got a lot of work. I'm going to have to make the most of the opportunity for sure, but it's that part of it. It's not my first rodeo. Uh, it is it is on the elite stage, so you just better bet that I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to uh, make sure that I I, I uh, take full advantage of the opportunity. That's for sure. Heck yeah! So we're gonna in a second here. We're gonna get into the the opens, the Southern Opens that you qualified through. We'll kind of like do a little deep dive into uh, to each of the tournaments. But uh, there's a couple questions here that we'll run through from the viewers, and uh, the first one comes from Joe LaBarbera. And he said, what hook and size did Josh use to use when he tied his own hair jigs? He said he saw an old YouTube rerun of you and a short-haired fighter tying them before you were going out to smash. Yeah. <laughs> that one That's is old. hilarious. That one is old. People like when I bring back those short hair ones like that. That's uh, <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a baby. Um, it, it's actually it's, <laughs> those jigs, That was a, those were outcast tackle. That, or that is fight. That's the outcast tackle fight or fly jig. It's a gamagatsu hook, is what we're what we're using on those, and it's just the plain jig head before before it got to, before it's tied. Is all it is. Did I answer that question right? Yeah, it's just a okay stack jig. I think it's a size one or a one out hook, something like that. Thank yeah. There was um, I was listening to uh, if you guys haven't heard it yet, the recent Straycast episode with uh, his name Connor. Can't remember his full name from Summers. Outside. Yeah, well, that was a good, interesting deal. Like you were talking earlier, behind the scenes. Yep. Yeah, Deacon, that's something I think you would you would eat that up. Uh, Straycast yeah. had a bunch of their different guys from their sponsors on, like Sims, Outcast, all that. And it was a really cool episode to kind of give like a deep dive into some of the industry stuff. Um, I saw yeah, the ad for that one. I need to listen to it. Heck, yeah. 
Um, let's see. So here from Logan Sullivan, he asked, do you think not being able to fish during the winter puts you at a disadvantage? Um, Good question. I, I can't, I mean, yeah, as a, as a, you know, there's a lot of things being from Minnesota that'll put you to advantage. We don't have a shad, you know, in Minnesota. So that's, that's probably takes more on you than not, but fishing <laughs> time, I'm not, I'm probably not the best one to ask because as soon as, as soon as Christmas is over and I've spent time with the family and all that, Bree and I and the dog are uh, self-bound where there's, yeah, where there's lily pads and stuff and, and, uh, you know, op open water a guy being just a bass pro can't do too well here, uh, with the ice fishing game and all that. And, uh, uh, but you, you know, is it a disadvantage maybe, but at the same time, you know, a, a lot of times we don't go to those fisheries in the, you know, late fall, early winter and the times that we're not fishing, um, you know, yeah, just not being around fishing, definitely. I, I know I get rusty if I go a week or two without fishing. I feel like I've never done it again for a little while until I start getting dialed in. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it, it's it's too bad. It's just more so that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're forced. <laughs> it's frozen, so we can't really do nothing to try to pattern a bass, you know. Yeah. At least I don't. I'm not going to go out there and try to pattern a bass. We'll go that way. <laughs> Uh, one question, then we're going to get into uh, the Harris. Is uh, so you touched on you know St. Lawrence River being something you're confident in with spinning rod and smallmouth, and obviously you are on Malax where you guide. I don't even know how many days of the year using spinning rods, light line, finesse fishing. Yeah. Uh, but I also know you know when you talked about Florida and we saw you do good on Sam Rayburn, you almost won Sam Rayburn. Uh, that you're proficient with a big stick and big baits. Oh, so yeah. like. Yeah. Is there one you'd rather have in your hands that you have more confidence in, or do you think you could be proficient in whatever situation you're fishing at? Uh, yeah, there's no real difference to me between the spinning pole and the bait caster or any, 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 anything like that. I do like a, a spinning rod. I mean, here, here's what I like. I don't honestly like running around with a spinning rod just to catch fish. I like catching five and six pounders on a spinning rod that i like to do you know what i mean like right just big giant small mouth on on finesse light tackle is super duper fun that's just a fun way to catch them but um you know the bait mo most of the trophies that i do have on the wall came off large mouth and bait casters for sure so um and hey i like smally fishing with the bait caster too like right now on places like lake malax so you don't need a spinning rod to to put 25 pounds in the box you just need a bait caster to do it so it uh you can fish for them with big stuff, and I like to boat flip them. So I can boat Heck flip yeah. them with bait casting gear. Yeah. yeah, there we go. All right, so dude, let's let's dive into the first Southern Open down on the Harris, and uh, kind of walk us through maybe what was going through your mind during practice, and then kind of walk us through the tournament from start to finish on, you know, how it went. If there's anything that went bad, anything that went good, kind of give us the whole laydown of it. Yeah, I've had uh Harris Chain, Harris Chain was a lake that I, like I said, I was familiar with. Again, it changes every year. Not only does it change naturally, but they bomb it a lot. So what you had for waypoints might be literally bare bottom a month later when you get wow. back there. So, you know, finding good grass, offshore <laughs> grass, stuff like that, knowing where they spawn, where the clean water is, all that kind of stuff is hugely important. A lot of times, you know, they, Harris Chain has a lock. And that's the key is it's a bunch of little lakes connected via a lock, a couple locks. One, I think, takes two or three boats. The other one takes eight or nine. 
only. And if there's one thing I'm super looking forward to the elites, it's only having 90 boats. I haven't fished besides the cup, Force Wood Cup. I've always been fishing 200, you know, close to 170 to 225 boat fields. So that'll be a little bit, you know, that's been a big deal. Learn how to manage that, that many anglers on the water and where you can get to, where you can't get to. So it might open up Harris Chain a little bit, but you know, I, I like Griffin. I like to run around in those lakes. But I actually, yeah, I found a little, a little tiny patch of grass uh, in Harris that I was going to, depending on how I drew, I planned on doing all my damage in Griffin, and which is where I generally do well in Griffin. Um, I uh, I started on, on on a spot in Harris with a chatterbait, you know, around grass and stuff, which what Harris Chain's known for. I caught I caught a decent l limit and then I locked down and I never called the rest of the day on day one. So then day two I said, oh I'm just going to stay in you know Harris. I'm not going to lock. And then I caught a pretty I think my first cast like a four and a half pounder, and uh, and I caught him I caught him pretty good. And so did I left a little early. Like I kind of caught him better than everyone the first day, but left quick to try to get to the lock after that first group went through. And they, I guess they might have caught them in there. Well, there's only really one or two more guys, but one of them in particular caught them pretty good and made made like a top ten. So when I caught that big one on day two, and then I saw, and then I caught another big one, and he caught one. I definitely just kind of, just kind of stayed put. Um, just kind of stayed put there. And I, honestly, I thought I had enough to get it to get paid. And I just, you know, any other tournament in the world, you'd have been you'd have been paid on that one. I, I, do you know what I finished or no? I, like fortieth or fiftieth or. I know I just missed a check and they paid a 40. So I want to say 49th is what I would guess. It was what I finished, but it, but it, you know, it was, it was uh good enough. It wasn't what I thought. Cause I was always under the pressure, especially this year. This was the first year they only took three per division. Um, so I definitely thought a guy was going to have to have all top forties for sure to do it. And I figured I'd need two top tens to do it. And then that's, I, you know, what I went on to, to do so i i just missed the check but at the same time i uh you know did good enough to keep myself in contention right uh, after the harris chain but the harris chain out of the three events is the one i thought i'd do the best at when i first looked at the schedule yeah 48th 48th yeah so yeah, i mean good turn good there's 225 boats when it came to points it kind of got me off to where i wanted to be but you know i was looking for a lot better a lot better event in that one personally yeah. And thought that would be the one I did the best in. Another another Minnesotan shined in that tournament. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. they didn't catch him, dude. He lives in northern Minnesota. Yeah, he cracked him. He's gonna be fishing the classic here pretty soon too. Uh huh. So, kind of leaving that one, and then you know, you're uh, you're on your way to actually Douglas wasn't for another like two months, right? It was in April, if I remember right. Um, we had a lot of time off between Douglas and Norman, uh, Douglas Lake. Uh, I've been there a couple times. I did move once in my life early when I first started fishing the opens Bree and I moved to Tennessee and I lived in Chattanooga and that's where I learned Chickamauga, uh, pretty good just to learn the Tennessee river. Cause I knew if I was going to make it in the sport, they're always going to go to the Tennessee river. So I had to learn that's as about as far away from, uh, Minnesota fishing as you can get, you know, Threadfin shad, gizzard shad, ledges, river systems, stuff like that. So uh, moved down there. And I got to know Douglas a little bit in that amount of time. We've had a couple opens there. I know I've taken, I think, a top 
30, something like that at Douglas before uh, when it was ledge season. Uh, I've always struggled there winter and I've been there like more wintery times or late in the fall when everyone runs up a river or something in jet boats and stuff or, or not jet boats, but aluminum boats. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of, <clears throat> that tournament, I, I got out there on the weekend before. So Saturday and Saturday and Sunday, I ran around just through like a little jackal crankbait and stuff like that and just ran around and threw a shaky head and a perfect net head. And dude, I, I could catch bass everywhere. I mean, everywhere they're on the banks, they're smallies were free spawn and in schools on the bank. Largies were thinking about pulling up. You could just kind of like move down by the time. And quickly I realized though that I just wasn't catching any weight. Um, you know, it was, you'd have to get lucky and just all of a sudden put a shaky head in the right spot and a five pounder would pick it up. But it was like, if I didn't make that one cast, I had nothing. So the second to uh, be like Tuesday morning, I started idling heavy. And I just know, you know, you do it long enough, you just know certain lakes are prone to certain things. Douglas is a lake that they say they live on deep 365 days a year. You know, they're just, they like, it fluctuates 40 feet, something like that roughly annually year. You know, it's on a schedule, it goes up. And right now it's about at its lowest, come around Christmas time. It'll be like 40 feet away from where you're, you know, 40 feet down, which is just dramatic, wow. dramatic wow. stuff. So yeah, I took that to heart and said, man, I got to figure something out. And I idled and I found probably nine, I think it was nine schools offshore. And um, I didn't fish them much. I didn't want no one to see the boat off because everyone else was really on the bank, man. All the boats were on the bank. And so you didn't want to start looking out. You knew it was kind of getting tough on people and, uh, my last spot, I always tell people to push it in practice, you know, like don't take no time off. If they're letting you be out there, you got to be out there. And my one spot in particular, I found, I had found kind of early on that last day of practice and then looked at it again late and it multiplied. They doubled, the fish doubled on it. And of course I wanted boat eight and I didn't get it. I got like boat 102. So I was like, <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm just going to go fishing. And I'm just going to stop on the first spot that I can get on and, and fish it. And, I think I caught like 16 or 17 pounds in about 10 minutes. And I just happened like, like all these spots were nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden I went by the one that I thought would be the best. And there was nobody there. And I stayed there. I stayed there for two straight days to make it mine. So that nobody, you know, people poke at it every now and then, but not really. They knew I was, it was obvious. I stayed, stayed there the whole time. I cracked them big time. My co-angler caught them big time on that first day. And, what I kind of figured out was I had a school. I, I knew the largemouth were on a saddle. I could see them. I idled them. I saw them on structure scan. They multiplied. But how I was fishing that saddle, I was also sitting off of a, off of the end of, a, not gravel, a clay point. So I was using like the point would go to this long saddle and they were sitting on the saddle. Well, I, I throw up there. I started throwing a six XD and just started jacking them one after another largemouth. And I was just boat flipping them in my active target. Like I was not targeting none of them with my active target, but you just naturally see a, you're fighting a fish and you see fish with it mm. coming up. Well, then I started seeing them underneath my trolling motor. So I kind of like backed around and started firing at that, that clay point. And that was a school of pre-spawn smallmouth. And they, oh, wow. I, I, I had like two big largies and three big smallies. By the wow, second so day, I only caught one smallie. The rest were largies. And then that thing died because they're bringing water up every day. By the third day, I couldn't hit it with the crankbait no more. I couldn't, it wouldn't hit bottom no matter what crankbaits I was going to. I couldn't hit bottom without going to like 10 XD. And they just, 
I had to move it so fast they they just didn't want that. So I think I like scratched I scratched out a limit there, and then I went to a, a hair jig, an all cast tackle chicken jig, and uh, I just knew I needed a big bite. I'd fallen day two to tenth to just squeak in that top ten, mm-hmm. and so I, I ran around and started throwing a hair jig on every one of those nine uh, offshore spots that I had found before, and had a pretty good day, and you know finished finished third in, in that event. So. Uh, you know, that got me right back into the point race where I needed to go with, you know, one to go at Lake Norman. Yeah, that so, had to, you know, leaving that event, you had to been feeling pretty good. At Douglas? Yeah, you're like, all right. Yeah, except I really it. wanted to, I really wanted to win, dude. Like, yeah. Because I, I, I feel just like come off Rayburn. Yeah, I just come off Rayburn uh, where I took a second place. I, I, You know, and I'm missing these turns by a pound or so, missing these, so I was like, Man, it's hard to get there, but yeah, when I looked at the point race and they had me in sixth, I think, or seventh. Yeah, I can't remember nothing no more, dude. But yeah, when when they did, then I was like, oh, okay, here we go. I'll, I'll have a shot at Lake Norman if I top ten. Yeah, dude. All right, so I've got a I've got a question for you, and and uh, mm-hmm. so I I followed the Rayburn or I fished the Rayburn event as a co angler, um, mm-hmm. and followed it, especially that final day watching you and everything. And then the way that you just explained Douglas, man, it seems like you can turn on a switch to devote yourself to like an offshore bite and find that and spend the time graphing and find those nine spots. My question is, and something that I personally struggle with when I'm fishing in boater events is when to fully commit to, to, to knowing, okay, look, I'm going to spend my three days of practice or whatever I have. This is what I'm going to do because this is what I found. I mean, when do you decide that that's going to be your play? Uh, yeah. I mean, anything you can do, that's going to make yourself comfortable and fish in your, in your, in your, you know, your strengths. Yeah. It has seems, and it is, I love to make a lake really small for mm-hmm. me. I love to know right where I'm going to cast and where I'm going to catch a bass. Um, I don't like, going down a bank wait i i don't be wrong because i do i love skipping boat docks i love fishing shallow i excel at doing it i like it but i would much re- I, i'm fine doing it if i can stay in one area if sure. i have to start running around and fishing that way i, I don't want to do that i want to yeah. get something specific when you mentioned rayburn rayburn i wanted to fish grass that's what we do in minnesota is we flip you know mm-hmm. so when i w- showed up at rayburn i thought if i was going to win that tournament I was going to have to fish grass and I, I, I did it for like two days and I don't think I ever had more than 13 pounds yeah. and that was early. And again, just you fish them long enough, you know, this place is going to get super tight here. Once, once everybody shows up, co-anglers and everybody and they start boxing, sure. it's going to get tough. And I switched and I said, man, I got to do something else. And I, you know, I had that though. Again, I had a security. I had a way to still be competitive in a tournament to maybe get a check, maybe even figure out something during the tournament to do good. So that all of a sudden I had a security blanket, same as I did mm-hmm. at Douglas. I found them shallow. Yeah. I figured out yeah. what I could do to save face. All of a sudden I just put the rods away. Now, one thing I don't need to do, I have learned to trust my electronics enough. I don't need to fish for them much, mm-hmm. much. Now that also killed me at Ufala. This is getting a little off topic because Ufala was an MLF event. 
But you follow set up just like Sam Rayburn. Like I was licking my chops. I spent endless days idling and marking brush piles. What I didn't do was fish them enough to figure out how to catch them or to also know how few bites I was going to get. Like Rayburn, I expected it. Rayburn was tough. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I get five bites. But if you remember the story or you heard the story at all, I, I, I idled like 20 something brush piles. Yeah. And then went back to the first one in practice and caught a seven pounder. I don't need to make a cast no more. I can see, I can see them from there. And then it's yeah. just like it's it's a numbers game, you know. Malax, there's a whole bunch of ways to catch a twenty five pound bag on Malax, right? When all hell breaks loose and you can't figure out, you know, you can't get your schoolers to go, you can't get the normal patterns, the mayfly hatch, the all that stuff to go. You can always target boulders, you know, in, in good rock clumps individually. And that's the thing. Now you need to have time on the water. I can put in that time. Your sure. regular weekend fishermen can't because they want to fish. They got to go back to work on Monday. They they want to fish. It's harder for them to put in the time collecting waypoint, right. uh, like like I can do. And if I run them all, I'm going to get five bites, and generally they're going to be big. So Rayburn kind of set up that exact way for me, uh, and Douglas did too. Because again, now I'm taking a big lake. I don't, I get heebie-jeebies if I see one dude down the bank here, one dude down the bank here, and I got to come into the middle. And I don't, I prefer I like to it. not, yeah. I don't yeah. like to fish that way. So if, if I can get away from not doing that, where I'm not fighting like that kind of stuff and find something that other people aren't looking for, uh, I def, definitely want to do it. And Douglas shaped up great for that because nobody wanted to fish out deep. There were, I didn't have much, much competition. There's a couple, couple people that did it, but not very many. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, I just, the, the takeaways for me there is uh, kind of your thought process of, of, I mean, very, very similar, right? Both top tens, like very close at Rayburn. And like, uh, to me, having that safety blanket then allows you like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see if I can go find something doing what I really, really like to do. So that's, uh, man, thanks for breaking that down. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going into Norman? Because I'll pick up right where I left off with Norman. Let's do it. Sure. Okay. So Norman, <laughs> Norman. I'm going to switch it all up on you. I'm a weird fisherman like that. Preconceived notions. Again, I've had six. I hate spotted bass. I, I love them. I love them. I feel like I've heard you say this like 20 times. I think I heard you love catching them for fun. Dude, they make me look like the worst fisherman when the puck drops. I, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Like Smith Lake is everybody's favorite place. I, I like, I think I almost, I, I was fighting trying my hardest to take last place there in the MLF tournament. Like I just <laughs> don't get them. But again, I'm, I'm a guy that likes to know where and when he's going to get his bites and, and uh, spotted bass have a totally different agenda than what other, what other people are doing and stuff like that. So what I didn't want to do was fish for spotted bass. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to throw a buzz bait. It's a dropping reservoir, it's fall time, dog days. I wanted to throw a buzz bait and just, leave the elites at that and if they bid it they bid it and have have the due diligence to do it and but i was i was smart man and i, I backed up that by brush piles and and mm. i i showed up super early knowing this was the last one but i didn't never make a cast i think i my buddy a good buddy of mine who i don't get to see very often at all bill coles came out like a couple days early in the way early in the week and just we just kind of ran around and we didn't care. I think at seven, eight pounds is our best day together, you know, run around for schoolers. And then after that, I never took a rod out and I idled and I idled and I idled until Saturday 
before the tournament, Sunday before the tournament. I idled all the way up till Sunday. And then I started fishing shallow every morning. I just couldn't catch them, man. I just couldn't find anything that was making me feel good about it. And so then I turned back to the to the brush piles. But again, I, I played it right. I, I found brush from five feet to 40 feet and fished all of it. Yeah, cane piles is how I really thought I was going to top 10 that tournament. That cold front pushed them away from the cane piles for me. Um, and yet didn't activate the shallow bite as good as I, I think there's, you know, like that true buzz bait, shallow bite type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but luckily, you know, I've watched, you know, Brian thrift and stuff over the years there and his video and stuff. And it seems like brush around docks, shallow brush, stuff like that can get you out of a jam in a quick hurry. And I had enough of it, man. So I just, I just made, made it work. And again, you need the tournament. I, that's just something that I've learned and I'm not afraid, um, uh, you know, Seth, we talked about him earlier. Seth gave me some awesome vibes. I was like, dude, what's clicking with you? The, I mean, he's a fanat- he's an awesome fisherman, right? But this mm-hmm. year, the dude was freaking in fuego, right? Like, what's different? And he just told me, he's like, dude, I'm not afraid to have a bad practice. It's what you, what happens during the tournament. You know, you can't go in with that mindset of, you know, bad practice just means maybe you don't want to do that in the tournament type stuff. So uh definitely in 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 that aspect you know just not being afraid to go out there and do it and at the same time letting letting the practice tell me what's not going to work and and having enough you know dot your i's cross your t's and then a little bit of luck man and just get them in the boat and and that's what happened at lake norman thank you yeah yeah i I remember seth saying something like uh, i was on the phone with him writing a piece for hummingbird and he was saying how in practice he does not want to figure him out completely. He wants a he wants a clue, but he wants to figure it out throughout the tournament. Because he says like if you figure it out in practice, that chances are after day two, it's just completely done in the tournament, and then you're scrambling. That has proved to be so many times. You know, like just you want an area to get better for you as the tournament's coming around, and you definitely you just want to do your homework. You know, run around and, and get to know a body of water look at it you know the the old josh looking back you know nine eight years ago fishing opens and stuff man i'd get a couple bites in a pocket and then i'd have to see how many bites i can get in that pocket well that's dumb you know you're gonna go there anyway it's just like if you caught a four pounder three days ago are you really gonna go back to that hole and and see if you're gonna get another bite the day before the tournament that does no good you're gonna go there even if you didn't even if you show up the day before the tournament and you just caught a four pounder there two days ago and you show up there again, you make a cast. All you're going to do is either one hook one that you could have caught or two, you're going to discourage yourself. Either way, you're still going to fish there when the tournament comes along. Cause you caught a four pounder there. So just mm-hmm. kind of, just kind of fishing, you know, I used to fish harder, not smarter. Now I'm hoping I'm kind of balancing the two out between <laughs> harder, harder and smarter and uh, just kind of figuring that out. But there's a hundred percent, a ton to ton to go with that it's you know you got to rely on your fishing talent when it comes right down to it because it it rarely ever works yeah. out the way you envision it happening for sure and yeah. ultimately it's time on the water and learning from your failed experiences as well as in going back and sticking fish in a pocket the day before a tournament a lot of people are like yeah i just want to go catch some fish and they screw themselves so yeah big time and if they don't <laughs> then they're discouraged either which yeah. way you may as well just keep keep looking and once you kind of and another thing i learned that again some people some some people can do this i can't i don't like 
running a bunch of patterns, trying to do a bunch of different things. Cause then I'm always five casting ahead of the one that I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. And I will not have a good tournament if I'm fishing, if I'm fishing five casts away from the present one that I'm in right now, you gotta be real confident about, about the cast you're making. Yeah. And I've heard the line before and I've even said it myself and I'm glad you say that because it's a, a mindset I'm trying to force myself into. Cause like I was guilty, guilty of it this past year is like when you have a couple days of practice and you find something really good on day one and then you go the, the day before the tournament, you go there, no hooks or nothing, or whether you do, you have hooks or on or not, but you go there to see if you can get bit. It's like, I also make sure they're still there and you don't get bit. And then you're like, your heart sinks for a second. And you start scrambling that whole night. You're thinking of like, of changing your whole game plan. Whereas if you never went there, you probably would have had a clear thought whether they were there or not on tournament day, you probably would have had a better thought process if they weren't there and have been able to kind of gather yourself better. But that, that's a really good point. You mentioned though, is like, if you find them one place, either they're going to be there or they're not, but you're just going to waste your time if you go back and catch them or not. Well, cause here's what's going to happen, Bailey. You're not only that you're going to go there and they're not, but rarely are we ever on them. Like, I mean, I'm not, maybe, maybe other anglers are. <laughs> I don't generally have the problem where I have so much bass. I need to figure out which ones I don't want to fish for. That's generally not, not the case. But then again, I also practice that way. Eight years ago, I, I'd take a lake like Table Rock and I'd break down the lake for the day of what, you know, if I had four days, I'm fishing here, then I'm fishing here, then I'm fishing here, and then I'm fishing here. And what you end up with is 18 waypoints across the entire lake. Yeah. And now you're scrambling. You can't even fish all that anyway. So I'm a big one in connecting the dots. That's a big thing I say to my, you know, Chad Smith when he's traveling with me and stuff, I'd say to him all the time, okay, time to start making these dots make sense and connecting them and then start working and that and it like norman you know i knew a little bit i knew that <clears throat> 150 bridge or whatever it is right there is is a i don't even know i might butcher that but the bridge right there at lake norman is a general popular area you know around there and it kept everything kind of tight so that i had a perfect little you know run system through those so i can optimize my fishing time as well as uh you know try to fish as many of them as i can obviously right Andy, uh, Adam, you guys got any questions left on the opens, or should we turn it over to the folks? Uh, let's turn it over because I see some really over. good questions coming. Yeah, me too. Well. All right. Let's rip let it rip. We got a bunch of them coming in, uh, but one from T. Chang. This is probably one you'll enjoy answering in, Josh. Uh, <laughs> he's asking your thoughts on the, uh, the new Loomis GCX rods. Yeah, they're awesome. I'm actually – switching them out i i uh i like them a lot actually but i'm also the guy that is running nrx plus so don't you know what i mean like there's a time and a place for almost every single rod in the g loomis lineup so whether or not it's nrx plus you know i don't necessarily want to go crankbait fishing with the nrx plus rod you want to find different areas in there and i have rods in all of them but that gcx line reminds me very closely of a glx line and I think it's it's a awesome bang for its buck, and and I got a ton of them on order. Actually, I'm going to start guiding with uh, uh, real heavy just because I do like them. That I like I like them a lot. They're they're good rods. Thank you. What is uh what is a go to bait when a lake is highly pressured? Oh yeah, in a Ned rig, an outcast tackle, perfect. Josh Douglas is perfect Ned rig. No uh. 
I don't know, a drop shot. I don't. I mean, it seems like that's all we're doing anymore is fishing highly pressured lakes. Uh, everybody and their mom fishes every time. We got ten sonars pinging at them. Everyone, the information highway so wide open. It's like people know what I threw at a tournament better than I know what I threw at a tournament. <laughs> I, 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 I just gonna say it goes a lot with. Uh, what the forage is on the lake the water clarity is a big deal um i'm going to tell you and this is probably not what you want to hear for this answer but it's less about the bait and more about how quiet you are as an angler and how you can move your bait or uh, your boat around without fish knowing that you're there and that's that's critical on the highly pressured lake so they'll, they'll still bite a jig they'll still bite all that stuff it looks like what it is you might need to size down Maybe go for more finesse, maybe go six pound test, uh, little tiny swim baits, stuff like that. What, whatever you got to do that makes sense to the forage. But the biggest thing I've learned on highly pressured lakes are how quiet you are. And even even you take a lake like Kissimmee, I, I wouldn't consider that like what they're talking about. Like it is a high pressured lake. It, it gets pounded, but how loud people will go through them lily pads. Yet almost every fisherman's a hunter. So it doesn't make sense to me when I see it because it's like you would not tramps through the woods like you're coming through yeah. these lily pad fields right now and but for some reason some anglers can't put a bass and a deer together as an animal that's trying to stay alive and trying to eat food you know what i mean like they're smart they know you're coming i can tell you just by my transducer noise now that that there's things that i have to try to do or shut transducers off or all that kind of stuff to try to minimize whatever. So the bait relative to the fishery, um, I would tell you if it's highly pressured and the bite's tough, and you should probably go with what your confidence baits are. And at the same time, you just need to be really, really quiet. Boat control is definitely the biggest deal to those pressured fish. I think on that topic, it's actually kind of surprising how many guys you know that have been in the boat with that will literally just when they know they're going to go to a specific waypoint, right? Take a there's a rock pot right here. They literally wind up and they will put down right on top of it, and then they yeah. wonder why they won't eat. And I, I've yeah. and one thing that's kind of cool with being in the kayak is you're very uh, you're a lot more elusive and quiet. And obviously, it takes you two miles per hour to work up to a spot. So chances are you're working the fishing up to a spot, uh, and you've learned the advantages of. If you're going to fish specifically, because Josh, I am very mind, like-minded like you in the fact that I have to be fishing a target or I lose my mind. Yep. Ask Andrew, I, if I'm just fishing a random grass flat, I just kind of, my brain just doesn't function. So like I've had a lot of opportunity to fish up to areas and it's, it's such an advantage to work your way up, to take your time, be quiet. And yep. like you mentioned with transducers, like anytime I'm five foot or shallower, you know, unless I'm going through a new area, maybe I'll have 360 on or sides just to make sure I'm not missing anything. I usually turn it off if I know the area. Just oh, yeah. Just, just trying to be as quiet as possible. Uh, yeah, yeah, big time. If you take Rayburn, if you take Norman, uh, so many of those lakes, man, I, you know, even, even Douglas, I was killing the engine. You know, my, my thing on a brush pile is, is I usually I, – I, touch the icon when i get within a quarter mile of the icon the, that one i'm getting to uh generally i'm never wide open in a tournament anyway unless it's like takeoff you know and even then i'm still like you end up with your drop shot and your jerk bait and everything's messed up anyway so it's just like efficiency one way to get there but a lot of times man my trolling motor stayed down and i was just you know you just idle to the next up to, right up to the next one and just jump right back up and go uh, but yeah, blowing in on a spot, that's not good. You know, you want to sit down, you want to idle in on it real 
quiet. And man, if I, when, when I'm actually fishing, if it's not a transducer that I need right here, right now in front of me, it ain't on, you know, like mm -hmm. stuff like that and quieting your trolling motor. You know, I'm a big, you know, WD 40 to keep that thing from creaking back and forth and anything you can do, just any, anything you can, you can do to get those fish to, uh, just to not know you're there hundred percent, dude, you, you just can't be, you can't take that stuff for granted at all. Heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me too, with that stuff, like, I think it's, it's awesome to bring up cause it's, it's very much so overlooked and it's, I think the reason people have an issue baby with that, like with what you're talking about. And the same goes for like the scent theory, right. Of like guys are like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, scent. Well, to me, like you can still catch a ton of fish without scent. You can still catch fish when you're being noisy. The trick is we're tournament anglers. Okay. We're wanting to put the most odds in our favor. And instead of getting four out of five bites, if you get five out of five bites, that's a, that's a plus one for you, whether that's being more quiet or scent or whatever it is. And it's just, little little compounding odds that get better you know what i mean yeah i got a buddy that smokes cigarettes in the deer stand like it's nothing and he shot a 12 <laughs> point buck within like minutes of hope you know what i mean it's like i mean it's things happen. You sometimes yeah. you get one but if that if that's your rule of thumb i think you're going to end up on the but it, again it's just mastering your craft it's just mastering your craft the fox gets up every single day and it's got to go hunt squirrels and rabbits and stuff like that and he gets better and better at doing it every single day that it does it it fails a bunch but it gets better and better and better and we're just animals that are hunting another animal we just have i just it's amazing because hunters get it hunters get it they spray themselves down so they don't stink they hang their stuff up outside for days weeks before before it comes up they get in gore-tex that's you know brushed gore-tex that's super quiet don't make a move sit in the deer stand all day but then some guy you know they get into the fishing aspect and that just kind of goes right out the window but again again another easier thing for me to say i spend you know six seven days a week fishing it becomes an extension of your leg the rod you know and again another one too pitching and flipping that that bait should go in there silently because i guarantee you if all of a sudden uh, you can talk me into eating a steak but if you throw it at me it's going to startle me right You're gonna be like, <laughs> hey, what are we doing well same thing just getting that thing in there being super duper quiet natural presentations not disturbing what's going on if you you know you know you don't talk on your cell phone in your deer stand think about that with your trolling motor noise and all that kind of stuff but that's far more important than the than the bait that's for sure yeah uh, andy i know you haven't really hunted in your time but i know you know adam and josh obviously you know three of us are hunters so andy i'm actually really curious to hear your take from an outsider's perspective but a lot of some of the like some of the best anglers I know are really good deer hunters. Do you oh, think yeah. there's any correlation between the two? Yeah, there is, but understand that there's still I know a lot, and I was even one for a long time that fished way more than I hunted. Uh, even to the point where I didn't, you know, hunt at all. I fished during that time, and they're probably still very good hunters. They just don't do it. You know, they, they fish a right. bunch. They, it's it's the exact same thing especially now with active target man we're hunting more than we're fishing sometimes it seems like you're hunting them down picking out the biggest one out of the school targeting that solo fish stuff like that you know and just just losing what's around you so uh you know they they go i think they go pretty hand in hand why we see deer hunters duck hunters big game you know definitely you got to want to be outside to start for sure 
Right. Sure. Adam, any take on that? No, yeah, man. I, I think it's dead on. I think there's so many connections. I, I think that's a really good point to bring up. Um, yeah, no, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of really good outdoorsmen out there that are some of the best hunters I know are are dang good fishermen and and vice versa. Um, so it's kind of cool how it all works. Right. Warren Beard is asking, uh, now you qualified for the elites. Are you planning on doing any opens next year? Uh, I'm actually not for next year just because I have a free year and the elite to not. I've, I have paid my dues on the opens. I've fished them for a lot of years. I love the opens. I was uh, talking to Chris, Chris earlier. It became very real today when I paid my first payment, by the way. So that then that hey, becomes congrats, really real congrats. quick. But but just still like 10 years, you know, like the opens. I, I look at the fisheries. I, I, I love them. It's an interesting one. But for this year, we got nine events. Uh, you know, I got a lot at stake. I think this will be the first, you know, my only opportunity at a rookie of the year, stuff like that there. So, uh, talking to Bree and all that, I think we decided this year, we're just going to fish, concentrate solely on the elites. I do have a new fishing series coming up with shields. We want to work on that a lot, kind of bringing some mixing on the water fishing show meets like a seminar style and merging that together. So very instructional stuff. So it kind of opened us up to, to do that and to use some of that travel time instead of uh, getting ready for the opens. But I I promise you that the next year after that, I'll be right back and right back fishing the opens. I I like them. It's a great way to stay on the elite. It's a great way to win win and get into the classic early and not have to worry about it the rest of the year on the elites. And at the same time, I just got so many friends and stuff fishing. Those opens are a good time. Thank you. So here, here's a really good question. Uh, from from chris desmore he says so i'm older than all of you but remember it was all southern fishermen until the first thousand ounce tournament and a young kevin van dam so what's the biggest change in influence that has shown that northern fishermen can compete and on top of that now we have a northern aoi on a very short list of northern aois for the elites yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I just, I, I don't think a lot's changed. I think, I think bass fishing in general, when I think, you know, he's going back to tournaments. I can't, I don't know a lot of, I mean, um, he, he's going back to when I believe the St. Lawrence is more of a largemouth fishery than it mm-hmm. was even a small, a small mouth fishery. But, um, you, you know, I think you had, a, you had just a lot of, I think it was more accessible in the South. And, and here's why I don't ever, ever get a fishery inside of 10 hours i mean lacrosse is five six hours from my house i know they've been to malax but that was an aoi hopefully one day Bassmaster comes back to to malax <laughs> and i should be in my backyard but it just seems like you know 90 percent of our tournaments are in the southeast or south from from texas over to florida and you know up to virginia and stuff like that and that's just dominant bass stuff now up here we have muskies we have walleyes i grew up toothy critters were kind of the deal up here but there has definitely been a change in the guard a little bit up north with just way more bass i remember man when i was a kid i wanted to be a bass pro my entire life i thought i'd be a hockey pro i thought maybe for a second golf none of those two worked out i guess (laughs) fishing so far is, is going but man i can remember like freaking out like in in high school and see a bass boat go by like oh my god that's like a real deal ranger right there like a glass bass boat you know go by you just didn't, it was lungs all the time and stuff like that a lumacraft so 
but now there's bass boats everywhere. And again, I know that literally everyone I talk to on a daily basis is a bass fisherman. So your world gets a little bit smaller to it, but um, we're versatile up north. We have a lot of different ways to, to catch bass from throwing football jigs on rock piles, flipping milfoil, smallmouth, largemouth deep shallow we you know the only real one is shad and even you guys got shad and stuff where, where you're at so uh you know that that's kind of really the only really the, the only thing but yet the, and then and then also he's talking pre-internet and now we're also you know not maybe not pre-internet but like mm-hmm. pre social media and now all bass fishermen for the most part if you're you know good at doing your job at, on a business level you're utilizing that kind of stuff and i think now words out you know i can remember eight years ago sitting down with some buddies who fished bass federation stuff telling them man I'm, i want to make the elite series and then being like had no clue how you even go about doing that <laughs> you know and now it's kind of uh-huh. that's kind of a common a common thing so i think i think just communication levels through social media and all that has definitely kind of put a light on it and then yeah and then, and then you got guys like fighter uh, you know d- kicking butt andy young was with today he made a classic, you know, there's been a lot of Northern guys from this Thank region uh, that have been doing really good. And that makes that next generation crop coming up say, Hey, you know, it becomes a realistic thing. You know, it's realistic now. It's not just, you know, a, a Southern bass fishing sport now. And, and they're coming up North more, you know, right. they're definitely coming up North more. So. Heck yeah. Yeah. I was pretty excited to see uh, the river on the schedule for the, for the last tournament this year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So here's a, another question that's right up your alley from uh, from Logan Sullivan, uh, and he says, "Can you tell how big a bass is just by looking at your electronics? If so, what do you normally run on your screen to tell?" Well, looking at that on side imaging, no. On down imaging, maybe depends on how hard the fish is moving in 2d it's honestly i don't feel like bass ever get under my boat anymore they like avoid going underneath my boat like i wasn't that long ago that i that's all i did is just keep a drop shot in my hand and wait until a smallie went underneath my trolling motor and dropped down and i catch them now it seems like looking at them they're learning to avoid boats they're you know stuff like that so um forward facing sonar i definitely can um, that's a big one, you you know, down scan. A lot of that just depends on where they came in. So when you're talking about the, the vertical stuff, when you're talking about regular sonar, uh, structure scan, and even, even side scan, well, let's take the vertical one. You, you can't tell because that it, it could be different. You could have a freaking giant, a 10 pounder be on the outside of your cone and he's not going to look all that big because he's not centered into your cone. And if he's moving and if I'm moving, if we're both on dead calm water, we're not moving, he's going to look a lot bigger on active target or forward facing sonar. Uh, yes, I've learned, you know, you can tell a fit. First of all, you can tell the fish's mannerisms to, to identify what species you're looking at. So that's a big one. Walleyes are the different things than smallmouth and they act differently and the more you're they really you can't teach that you can just go do that that's time behind understanding you know i look at a lot of fish visually with my eyes shallow so i obviously they look the same doesn't matter how deep they are on sonar they look the same so you you can definitely but the biggest thing is just getting in areas that you're very familiar with that you know has both pounders three pounders five pounders and then start to look around in there and you can definitely tell 
who runs the show in those schools a lot of a lot of the times for sure definitely that's a really good question something kind of cool i learned uh, a couple weeks ago i was in minnesota and i got some time with uh, mega live and one thing i didn't even realize is that so fish might look small at first on your forward but depending on which way that fish is angled if it's angled straight towards you it may look smaller until it turns to the side and obviously that bigger return so you might think, oh, it's not a very big fish, and then all of a sudden the thing, just the image returned bigger. It's probably that fish is turning. Uh, that was something cool that I learned that I had no idea or didn't even really think of put together for forward facing. Definitely, and how they swim is big. If, if anyone's ever used an AquaView camera just to learn, they're awesome, awesome for learning um, what you're looking at under the water. You know they're good. Smallmouths. They're incredible because smallmouths are very, very attractive to a camera in the first place. You bang that thing around, you're going to have four of them, you know, sitting there looking at you right away. But, but you know, when I was first trying to learn a camera, I was looking at everything. Oh, there's a smallmouth. Oh, there's a largemouth. There's one. And I, you couldn't tell how big they were. You know, you can't tell. But small fish, you need more energy to move. Big ones glide, you know, and it's the way they move and their confidence that they move in the water. And that's the kind of stuff that you're still picking up on active target because I'm seeing them in live or or mega live, whatever, forward-facing sonar. You're still, you're picking up the fact that, you know, that fish's mannerisms are different than the rest of them that's a big one you know like that's an extra big one and and again you don't always get that but you do you get plenty of times too especially if they're relating to things where they want to hang around that and you can kind of get to know them like i said earlier and even pick out you know make sure my bait is going to the big one and pulling it away from little ones and stuff like that that's definitely a new reality for sure so what you're saying is when the smallmouth fishing gets tough we should put a camera with a treble hook down there yeah, yeah that would, uh, uh, well you do you'll drop it you'll drop it down to like avoid it you know and you're like oh man they're really where'd they go you know every northern bass fisherman says this must have been walleyes right that's what we say every time we don't catch a big bat must have been walleye and you're like you, but if you pick it up and you drop that aqua view camera and let it hit the rocks and then just swing it around like use the cable swing it and they'll just be sitting right behind it it's like, it's like they don't like the light on the front and they'll just sit there and they're just like they're just so curious you know what i mean you guys have seen the show like when people scuba dive and feed them and stuff yeah. they're just a cool there's a cool animal so that's kind of they're definitely attracted to that and, and generally with small a factories you're dealing with clear water so it makes that camera kind of really shine yeah yeah, if, if any of you guys don't follow Rob Matsura on social media, yeah. he's got some wicked cool stuff of diving with yeah, does. smallies. It's 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 awesome. So Rob's a badass, first of all. Rob's a badass. And he will he does, yeah. That's it's pretty incredible. Uh I love that kind of stuff. I actually would like to get into getting down there and swimming with him and getting into getting into just seeing him in that element. But again, I feel like a forward sonar I'm I'm learning and that that's a big again a big deal about you know all the forward sonars is what what i thought the bass were doing all this time and what they're actually doing in a lot of cases are two totally different things like what my perception was looking at everything in small shaving small clips like a fish goes under my boat or my side imaging look at that i'm looking at but then to open it up and start looking at stuff like I'm sitting under the water looking with my eyes and you just learn so much more so quick. And if you're on the water a lot, 
all of a sudden I think I think A and B start to make C pretty quick. You know, you're like, oh, okay, like that that kind of makes sense. So a uh, lot more to learn on that front, but definitely, um, definitely, it's pretty cool. Heck yeah! Punch Fisher says, "Congrats, Josh." But, uh, uh, we have a couple questions here that we'll wrap up with. Uh, some right fun questions to, to wrap up the episode and we'll let you go. But uh, before we get into those, we're putting you on the spot and asking which question was your favorite tonight? Uh, ah, they didn't put me on the spot. Can we get, I kind of see all the questions yeah, again? So we had, out of uh, all the questions we had, the uh, one we just talked about with the 2D and uh, using your electronics to see how big a fish is. Mm-hmm, that's a good one. We have... Uh, Chris's question talking about northern anglers becoming more prevalent. Let's see what another really good one we had as well. And then we had uh, Joe giving a throwback of the old fighter fly back in the day when we couldn't even recognize Seth's face anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a really good array of questions here tonight. We so did. We shout to the guys for, for stepping The go to bait on highly team. pressured lakes. That's always a good one. I'd have to say I think it's the, the very last one that if you ask if if I was to pick one, it's gonna be that's that's actually kind of a unique question that people don't ask me. And I get a lot of electronics questions, but people don't generally ask me if I can tell the difference in the size of the fish. And that goes along with a lot of that, you know, size of the fish and then and then just how many are there, what species are there and all that. You definitely can. And I, I think a lot of people need to, like, I've said it before in some of my posts, there's a lot of anglers that aren't short on cash on buying electronics to put on their boat, but there are a lot of them that are short on time using them. And if you can use them, you're going to learn a whole heck of a lot and actually get more out of them. So I think that was, that question was that Logan was on the right the right train of asking the right questions for sure. Heck yeah! Well, Logan, get uh, get in touch with us uh, either on social media or email, whichever, and we'll get your we'll get your address and send out some uh, pair of uh, some Hobie eyewear El Matadors sent your way. So congrats and keep the uh, keep the good questions coming. Logan's been on a bunch of shows. Ask that's not his first rodeo of asking some dang good questions. So. Well, then he yeah. deserved to win. And he deserved yeah, to win anyway. I think this is his yeah. first time winning, too, though, right? Yeah. I think. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, Josh, uh, we have a couple fun questions to wrap up with, and we'll okay. let you go. We appreciate you taking uh, an hour out of your night to sit and talk to a bunch of yeah, bums like yeah. us. But, uh, Thanks for having know, me on, guys, for real. Yeah. Thanks for um, coming again. Absolutely. As for next year, do you have any uh, travel partners set up yet? And do you are you gonna camper it out? Are you gonna hotel it, Airbnb? No, no, I'm campering it out for sure. The the camper saved my fishing career back when it did. It it uh, like I've said this on podcast. I had bed bugs twice in my life from trying oh, to geez. cheap hotels. Uh, the only time I ever almost quit was because I just wasn't around Bree and my dogs enough. You know, I was just gone for such extended periods of time. So my f- travel partner, again, not not a lot changes uh, for me. You know, Bree and Lutzen, my my blue healer, they'll they'll be with. Gotcha. Uh, they're looking forward to the adventure and the ride. And and again, a lot of guys, you know, in campers. Uh, again, and I got a lot of friends that that are fishing, and and Seth Austin, and just just a bunch of people. Pat, um, 
but then again, I, you know, Carl Jacobson and all them in their, in their uh, camper and stuff. I know Bree's already been figuring out where the campsites is everybody's staying at. So anytime you're, you're rocking a camper and our Lance has been a lifesaver for that. It, it brings home on the road. It makes it far more affordable to, to do this. If I don't have a checkbook, dude, like I just don't come from money. And, and you said we had to figure out, we got married and figure out how to make a dream a reality. And one way to do it is be able to cook, cook for yourself at home. You're in tune with the fishery. You're right there at the camp or right at the campsite at the state park and stuff like that. So I'll definitely, uh, we'll, we'll be camping, camping and fishing, uh, across the country for sure with my, my team, no doubt about it. But yeah. And like I said, there's, and then David Williams, I mean, me and him on the, you know, I haven't heard officially from him that he's going to go to the elites. I'm assuming, assuming that he will. Uh, the dude seems to be able to make it whenever he wants to make it and, and fish there for sure. He's just a hammer, but he's been like our, we, it seems like he's been our neighbor at every campsite for the MLF circuit stuff. So uh, we should have some new faces and some familiar ones, but definitely we, we will be camping on the road for sure. The camper movement is becoming a more and more popular movement, especially amongst dude, it's yeah. I don't want to say it sucks, but like, it's like back in the day, I used to like when we first, my first, two, so I have five years on the tour. My first year on the tour, halfway through, or a couple terms in, Bree left her job and came with me full time. We ran out and we bought a, we bought a camper. We actually got one VRBO, and our dog, our like dogs got fleas or something from a house cat that they like left oh, there. Man. Like we had, we didn't know it was oh, there. Or forget about that. I'm out of there. Yeah, it was <laughs> the whole thing. So yeah, definitely. Heck yeah. Well, uh, so I know next question is, uh, I know we have a lot of hockey fans on here and it's perfectly fitting because you're a hockey guy yourself. Yeah. Uh, so this question kind of is, is molded to them. So for folks who don't know a lot of hockey history, I apologize, but if there was one playoff hockey game that you could go back in time and be at to watch, what game would it be? Well, Honestly, I'm not going to know which game anymore because it's going to go way back. And the reason why is I was a North Stars fan when I was a kid, kid. Like, oh, man. Like, like squirts, mites, like that kind of level. I was a North Stars fan. And then they just up and left to Texas, which for a dude from Minnesota bringing a hockey team to Texas, I only needed to be five, six years old to understand that that didn't make a heck of a lot of sense to me <laughs> that they're sending them to Texas. When I did in that game, well, then they did it halfway through the season. So all of a sudden, tickets were real cheap. So my stepdad bought tickets, and we went to a game, even though we knew the North Stars were gone that year, you know, that they were gone. And they played the Detroit Red Wings. And that was going back to, like, Sergey Fedorov was, like, a rookie. Oh, like, man. That's how long Oof. ago, like, that, yeah. that was. And I was just a kid, and they, they smoked the North Stars. And there no Minnesota fans were really going because the team was getting shipped off, so Detroit's not far. A bunch of Red Wing fans showed up, and they all threw octopuses out on the ice. And for, like, a, a kid, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, that we throw octopuses on the ice. So I instantly became a Red Wings fan. Then the Red Wings went on to, like, destroy everybody yeah. for years. They were phenomenal. But there were some games like the old – like the old uh, uh, where – I mean, there it's going back probably, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years where I was a giant Red Wings fan for the most of my childhood growing up. And there's definitely some games back then that I would have done about anything to go back 
and watch. But now we got Kirill Kaprizov with the Wild. The Wild are pretty good. Uh, Fiala, I'm guessing that my best games are still still going to be coming. But it's, it, it took me a long time to get on the Wild train, honestly. It broke my heart when the North Stars left. It took a long time to let the Red Wings go as my favorite team. So it's probably been four or five years that I've been a Wild fan again. So uh, now I'm pretty much head over heels for them. So hopefully they uh, – don't do me like the Vikings do me every other week. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. Andy, you got a question for him? Yeah. So I want to know who's going to be on the air horn at the Mississippi River, like when you guys were chasing Fighter around a couple of years ago when he finished second for the first time. So is everyone going to have a posse with air horns? chasing all the Minnesota guys around the Mississippi River. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't know. I mean, Fighter was kind of breaking molds when he when he did, when he did all that and and he's definitely a fan favorite for sure. Uh you know, I don't know. I don't even like chasing anyone around the Mississippi River. That's a scary place to just yeah. run around when you don't know what you're doing and stuff like that. But man, that was, you know, that that was definitely a highlight of his career, as a, even a highlight of mine watching him watch him do it and you know, essentially him and I started the, the opens at the same time, that Louisville tournament for, for the, uh, you know, that was both our first open and, uh, you know, to watch him, to watch him go. I mean, he was always the one around here, but to watch him take off and do that, dude, is so well-deserving, but it also paved a way for the rest of us to say, yeah. Hey, wow. Not only is it possible to get to the elites and to win, but he's the a angler of the year. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't get no bigger than that. It, it's safe to say he's like a trailblazer, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. He'd probably even let us call him that too, trailblazer. That, 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 sounds, that sounds very him for sure. But no, it definitely sure. was. And then again, we're going back to the Minnesota and the up north talk, where that was so new for Minnesota. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's so new for them. So and and to get bass tournaments to even come within anywhere near our state was you know kind of un, unheard of. I'm just picturing Keith Tuma and his tricked-out skeeter with an air horn running down the river. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Keith, I wouldn't put it past him to do it. He's still doing it for sure. But, yeah. <laughs> like that, I don't know why, but that um, that show on ESPN like resonates with me all the time when I flip over and I'll like, tune on on YouTube. I'm just like, there's the air horns again. I, I love it. It's so awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. The mullets, the mullets, yeah. the air horn, all that, yeah. Uh, great. <laughs> Adam, you got the last question? Hilarious. All right. So if your career was a story, right, and someone – you had to choose someone to narrate your story and your career, a celebrity, anyone, who would be the narrator for, uh, for Josh Douglas and his, his story career? Well, um, first of all, I hate these kind of questions, and only because I think I only think about bass fishing all the time, so I don't even think about stuff. But my easy answer would be, and no Dude, disrespect to him, because he definitely has his own story that somebody should be writing. But if I could have Carl Jacobson narrate with his Australian accent, I think yes. that would be pretty awesome, dude. I think that would be that would be pretty awesome because I basically make it like a life mission to try to learn all his words and the way he says stuff and all that. Like, like he probably rolls his eyes every time I call him, but it's it's hey mate, you know from the very get go. Did you say that again? Time, you know, probably, dude, he's probably like whatever, dude. You know, like always. But 
yeah, if I could have Carl narrating my story and 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 his accent. If you've ever sitting around Carl for a story, he's the best storyteller that there is. So I'd I'd have to say Carl Jockerson for sure. That's awesome. That was actually an easy one. That's now now I'm kind of in on it, and I might try to see if I can't hire him to do it just for just for the story. Yeah, Josh Dub is fishing on YouTube, narrated by Carl Jockerson. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, he's, I'm awesome. telling you, he's the best storyteller that there is, for sure. We'll have to get it on animated. Put that to the test. Oh, you should, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Heck yeah. Well, Josh, dude, uh, seriously, really appreciate you taking time out tonight to uh, get on the show and not, an- not only answer a bunch of our questions and tell us about your open season, but answering a bunch of the, the viewers' questions. I know they appreciate Definitely. it. We really appreciate you coming on, dude. And- Again, huge congrats on making the elites. We're super excited to uh, watch you and pick you in fantasy fishing this year. Yeah, do it. Hopefully, I'll make you guys proud. And if anybody, Josh Douglas Fishing is my handle on everything YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. If there's any questions that we didn't get to or anyone's got any future questions, just by all means, uh, send them my way. And, and guys, seriously, thanks for having me on. I mean, it ain't my first time. Hopefully, it won't be my last. It seems like I'm doing something special whenever I'm on. So. Hopefully I'll be back on again here in uh in, in due time. Heck yeah, anytime dude. you want, Josh. So right on <laughs> time. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. You always got a awesome. seat over here. And yeah, for the folks, like you mentioned, his socials are right down in the show links. So you guys can go right down there, click on them, take you right to them. But uh Josh, dude, we're gonna let you go here. Seriously appreciate your time, and it will not be the last time you're on this show. Awesome. And good luck in the deer stand this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. I hope I didn't use up all my luck. I still got a little bit left here. Give me a big one, for sure. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Have a good one. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah. Oh, just get Deacon out of there, right? See ya. Yeah, see you later, Deacon. Sorry, bud. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. it's, it's always good to, to get guys. I, I really enjoyed – and I, I didn't really even realize this until I texted Josh last week to see if he was free tonight. We've been on this like trend the past few weeks of like getting all the new guys from going from the opens and into uh, the elites. And I'm, I'm kind of into it now. It's like becoming a series, right? Of these, these opens guys. Who Dude, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, awesome. it's, it's cool to see. Cause you look at, you know, the past couple of weeks with like Alex Redwine and Jonathan Kelly and, you know, Jacob Fouts and, you know, Jacob, obviously, is someone we've known about for a while, but, like, you take, like, a, a Jonathan Kelly or Alex Redwine and compare him to a Josh Douglas. I mean, talk about two guys that are on a completely different spectrum when it comes to trying to get into the league Completely. And from a different level of preparation. And it's not at a fault at, for for Alex or Jonathan, right? No. Josh has been around for a while, and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people are really happy to see him qualify for the late series, but – like he said, I mean, he's he's not Dude, he can't focus on fishing for going in. He doesn't have to worry about the business end. It's time for the business end to show up for him. And that that's huge. That's yeah, huge. man. I think the coolest part of professional bass fishing, or one of the, the coolest parts, is the fact that you have all these different routes of guys and how they get there. And um it is uh it's awesome to see Josh Josh get there. I've been a huge Josh Douglas fan for a long time and I've always been like, oh, he's been so close so many times and making that elite series. And uh then you have the guys in their twenties and there's no right or wrong route, it's just a matter of the guys surviving and figuring it out. And there's advantages to both of those situations. So it'll be cool to see uh how the elite series shakes out for twenty twenty two. 
And the greatest part about it too is you can say when it's their time, it's their time. So if it's your first year or the tenth year, there's all kinds of lessons you learn. And some people get in after one year and fail after two. And some people who make it after ten years have a long lived career in the elite. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's completely different than like a football or a basketball tryout. Like, you know, it's where our talent and you know work ethic will obviously shine in that. Uh, much more than a 200-boat field of guys with 10 different variables going on, dealing with weather anglers and another animal that you're trying to catch. You know, it's it's completely different. You know, it's you have a, you have a guy who's been, you know, who's deserved to make it for 10 years, and it, but it took him 10 years to make it, and you have a guy that deserved it, but it only took him one, just like you said, Andy. And that's what's really cool about fishing. But, yep. Um, congrats again to Logan for winning the Hobies. Yeah. I just got your message on Instagram, and we'll get these sent out to you. Um, but uh, did, So we talked about it a little bit in the introduction, but do we want to dive into it now, uh, or should we take this? And the viewers, feel free to comment if you guys like to see a whole episode dedicated to this, um, of the scheduling with, with cow bass fishing, because I think we all have a few different viewpoints on this thing. And it's, again, it's not a, you know, to give people kind of a lay of the land, like, I guess so. There's MLF championship is on one day, uh, and Bass has a regular season event ending two days prior to the start of the MLF championship. So there's a two day gap between events, and I guess college anglers feel that they should space them out, coordinate with them to best fit their schedules, um, which I understand. And I think the trails should coordinate one out of just benefit of each other because. Competing, I think, in terms of a schedule, doesn't make sense for anybody because uh, one person's hurting in the long run. And you, can, I feel like as an organization, you want as much participation as you can. Um, I just think if, at the end of the day, like I said in the introduction, it comes down to uh, the anglers, and it should be more about the importance of the anglers, better for them because they are the future. If you lose the interest of the anglers, I mean, you're losing – uh, people who fish, you're losing people who are going to fish your trail in the future. Uh, and there's, yeah, I don't know, that's, that's my main point from that. But also in the fact that like we talked about, if you're, if you're, if you're fishing to go professional, putting yourself at least $80,000 in debt is not the way to do it. And that's just a personal opinion. And, the, and that's, and that's where I disagree because there's, there's some programs right now that, you're seeing kids not put themselves in debt whatsoever and they are having a free free by working hard in, in, in high school, but a free legitimate shot at fishing full time in college. And I mean everything, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a couple of not saying the vast majority of situations, college fishing are not this way, but there are certain couple schools out there where there is not a dime coming out of your pocket. If you are one of the top guys at that school, you have a boat that you're using, you have a, a an allowance for tackle for each event, you have all your travel paid for, all your food paid for, and you can go fish nine to 12 major tournaments a year in college fishing across the country and all these other lakes. That's a lot cheaper route than a guy going and dropping 80 grand in three years or four years to fish the Toyotas or the opens and make it to that next level. So I think that there's, I don't think there's a wrong or a right route uh, when it comes to college fishing, but um, 
I think it's just a matter of figuring out who kind of you are and if you want to have that backup plan with a college degree um, and that kind of a thing too. But that's, that's, that was kind of my viewpoint on that. Um, as far as the scheduling goes, man, I mean, it's kind of an age old debate, right? It's, I think it's a little bit more pertinent to these college kids right now. And, and I understand it from that perspective, but man, it's, it's already a problem. And with all the series, you kind of got to at some point pick and choose where you're kind of going to go and spend your time, um, which sucks. But I agree. I wanted to, I fished both the FLW stuff in at the time and the, the BASS in college. It was just a matter of what I could fish or that was close enough for that kind of a thing. Um, and you want to fish as much of it as you can. And those guys that are really good in college, you, you see that they fish really well on the FLW side and the bass side. So I understand wanting to have everything together, but both these organizations have a staff that do multiple things. I mean, Bass's college guys also deal with high school and Bass Nation. And um, so there's so much that an organization can do by having all these different levels that it makes it hard, I think, uh, on both sides to to have to look out for each other per se. And I don't necessarily know how much of a job it is for theirs. And I think it's just something that, that happens, unfortunately, with our sport. Yeah. Well, I'll backtrack quick here because uh, I'm asking this out of me not even knowing. So this is more of an you educating me question. Um, for anglers, and I knew there were scholarships for, for fishing, but I had no idea that that many factors were involved in terms of colleges giving certain anglers like a stipend for, for baits and all that jazz. Um but out of what percentage of anglers do you think are actually being granted that? One bit, very small. I mean, it's not, it's not even, I mean, yeah, like you got to view it like this. Like, okay. So I went to Colorado state university and no, like we had to do all our own fundraising. There was no, no help. And that is in my opinion, the majority of schools now, like Bethel, Adrian, Dallas Baptist university. Like I know, yeah, well, and not even necessarily like, dude, you got to be careful with those bigger schools. The bigger schools don't need pe- people dr- attention, right, for a fishing team. OK, they have a football team that is bringing in plenty of attention. The smaller schools are seriously where the money's at when it comes to college fishing. And that's why you see like that Adrian College have a coach and push Canvasville University. You have uh, Bethel, Dallas Baptist, like these smaller schools that you're kind of seeing be more of a powerhouse and and that is legitimate what what some of those schools are getting and i know that just on a personal level with college anglers and the vast majority of that is not that way and bailey i think the majority of it is more of a scholarship on a minor uh extent to that but like bethel has rap boats dbu has rap boats that are there they have trucks rap trucks that are that anglers if you finish if you're the top four to six anglers you don't you can fish out of that boat you don't have mm-hmm. to have your own boat. You have everything. I mean, there's, and, and that's just one of my personal, the, the kid that I fished with in college all through, or sorry, in high school, we, we went to the high school nationals together. He's the coach for Dallas Baptist university and he fished there through college and that kind of a thing. And um, that's where some of that knowledge is coming in and maybe things have changed. I just am going off of when I was in college talking to different anglers. Yeah. So, so maybe it's, you know, college could be a route for someone that wants to be in the industry long-term, but also has to know, and maybe it takes a lot of self-reflection of like, and maybe some self-acknowledgement of like, I do have the talents to do it, so I'm going to go after this route, but it's not going to be easy. Is that kind of what you were getting at in terms of the college route? All right. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's like, 
okay, like, and, and I don't, I don't regret anything about going to where I went to school or anything, but I think that if you are super serious about fishing professionally, uh, if you are going to go the college route, uh, I think it'd be wise to get in with a program that's really going to support you um, because it's, it's, it's a good way. Right. And then you have someone like Alex Redwine. He's like, dude, I don't want to have to deal with school. I I'm not set up to go and try and get a scholarship at one of these schools. I'm going to go qualify and, and take the school of, of the opens and the school of the toy. And that is like, dude, like that has been proven like time and time again by people. So I don't think it's a, Unnecessary right? I'm just saying there is some validity to college fishing on making it professionally. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think your advantage goes up when you go to those schools that are really supporting anglers. Yeah. Yep. Good and there's a good point from Logan saying, heard that both events will pull 200 plus boats. And if they do, the organization will never change the schedule to benefit the anglers. Uh, and I think that's along the mantra of like, uh, kind of like the elite series is like if there's a problem with the elite series, 10 guys will leave and 20 will take their place. Yeah. Those guys just want to be there. Uh, and part oh, of me understands that yeah. from a business standpoint, I get it. I totally understand that. If you, the demand is there, why change? But I guess in the same point time, just from a future standpoint, like I guess just trying to do what the right thing will win you a lot more of a, uh, what do we call it? More of a, a brand light, if that makes any sense, in terms of brand image, I guess is probably the better sure. term to name it. Uh, of really doing what's good for the people of your sport, because then you'll just you'll gain, I feel like, uh, not just a better attraction, but more of a loyal attraction. Not that either doesn't have a loyal attraction or loyal fan base, but, um, and this isn't really like going after either or. I think it's just more of, the two are obviously competitive, and I think, in my mind, two leagues to compete just doesn't make sense. I think both leagues can easily live and survive in this industry if they coordinate schedules. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think it's that hard to mm-hmm. coordinate schedules. I don't think they ever will, though. No, and it, it sucks to see that, to be honest with you. Just to lay it out there. I think that's it's pride. Yeah. I think it's what it is. One of them doesn't want to be the first one to back down. And I get that from a side, but part of me, I guess maybe just because I'm an outsider and I don't have, you know, I don't, I'm not invested in either or, uh, in terms of like, I'm not a part of that organization. So maybe I'd have feelings if I worked at Bass or worked at MLF. Uh, but I think from an outsider's perspective, it sucks to see when pride comes into play and more of, we're not going to budge because out of just, you know, we shouldn't have to type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of a an analogy I think I could come up with, and maybe it's a horrible analogy, so feel free to tell me if it is horrible. But, like, take a kid whose parents got divorced and the parents compete to become the kid's favorite. I feel like that never, ever works out. And I feel like that's what this situation is, where two leagues are competing hmm. and the anglers, anglers are forced to choose, and that just never ends well. Uh, obviously, there's people being successful in both leagues, but I feel like – if ang- there's anglers out there that want to compete in both and compete in both successfully and not have to make sacrifices, I feel like it, it, it isn't that hard to coordinate a schedule. You might have some some scheduling. Well, yeah, I mean, it's certain opportunities. Like, yeah, I feel like, you know, you might have an elite series on the weekend during a college series. You might have some, you know, some 
I guess, coverage overlap, right? And they want to get the most out of their coverage. I get that from a business side, but I just don't get the whole butting heads competing in the leagues. But that's all I have, I think, on that. But anything else you guys got on that topic? Dude, go ahead, Andy. Uh, I'm I'm trying to put together my words here so you can go first, Deacon. I apologize. Andy's putting You're on good. Cap. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying there to go. Caps on. All right. Yeah. Uh, just like rally it. Yo, Bailey, quick. I think uh, there, there you go. I see it. Um, oh, no, dude, I, I think thought, I thanks. think you're dead on as far as I I think that uh, guys uh, or organizations can have a better uh, commingling and kind of relationship. The part that, that contradicts to what you're saying is you said, I'd rather there be, and maybe I misunderstood this. You said, I'd rather see one league. And uh, that makes it to where those, and that's that's how they both kind of feel too, right? Uh, in my opinion, like that we're seeing right now, that these leagues are going to compete tooth and nail because that they want there to be one, maybe mm-hmm. one league at some point. I do, I do agree that, the current state and that there is multiple leagues, it would be helpful that they work better together. And uh, a good representation of that, maybe what we're seeing out West, I don't know if you guys saw the um, Bass uh, Bass Cat is titling this uh, one-off kind of championship event, trying to make something similar to like a classic per se out West. Right. Um, so those guys don't have to travel. Well, it's combining all the different trails out West. And their viewpoint is this is going to make us all better by having the top 10 from each one of these. And I think the top 20 from the apex, that's but cool. like, that's a, that's a cool thing. That's something we don't see in the industry of combining these different. Yeah. And, and, and even Rick Pierce even said it on uh, bass talk live. He was like, we have support from bass. Now, obviously bass isn't doing anything out West, but they have support from all these different organizations. And I think that that's a, if we're going to have multiple leagues, which is the way it kind of is right now with the NPFL and all these different things, it's cool to see those one-off events um, and hopefully uh, maybe that would promote some of that, but I don't know. You bring up some good points for sure on scheduling. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't think there should be one league. I think, I, I think that both leagues okay. have their place. I definitely don't think there should be one. I think there's competition is good if they're willing to come together on, especially from a scheduling standpoint, but I still think competing at, at to an extent is good because I think it pushes each league to be better for not only just the anglers, but in terms of maybe the media they're putting out their live streams, what are their shows, whatever it might be. Um, Think on that level, pushing each other to be better is great, but scheduling on top of each other out of whatever reason, I don't think it's just the way to do it. But um, I think there's a place in the industry easy for both. And I enjoy watching both platforms. I think both create different facets that are extremely interesting, but that that championship you mentioned though that sounds extremely intriguing. That would be really cool to watch, dude. It's gonna be 20, 2023. Yeah, I'm, I'm like uh, it's excited. It's making me want to like I, I'm haven't figured out what I'm gonna do next year, but I'm really considering fishing the westerns just to have a crack at that. Um, okay. The western Toyotas because uh, you, you finish in that, you have a chance at the top ten, and you also have a top uh, if you finish in the top twenty five for the uh, the Toyota Series championship. Just cool championship events, you know. So I'm assuming the other trail would be like the Wild West Bass Trail, would probably be one of them that's included. Yeah, so right? it's uh, 
I believe it's uh it's the Wild West Bass Trail. It's the Apex, which that's kind of that new whole yeah. crazy Wild uh, event. So the Apex, they're qualifying twenty anglers out of that. Um, and and then there's ten from the Toyota Series, and then it's another ten from two other Western leagues. I don't think the ABA is involved um, as of now, but it's it's just kind of cool. It's combining all the their thought process is we're so diversified. Oh oh, it's uh the um juan bass so like the u.s open that division or that those guys they're doing 10 out of so i think that's the right anyways but what's cool is just they feel like they're so spread out and there's some really good anglers but everyone kind of fishes their own league so you don't see the true good competition name. of the west sometimes because yeah and so i mean i don't know it's kind of cool to see see that take place and rick pierce was the and his his whole mindset behind it was like look there's only seven or eight percent of the all of fishing tackle sales, all of boat sales out west. But there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of lakes, and there's tournament anglers. We need to make a more of a push this way. And so I thought, I don't know, I thought it was really, really cool. You guys should, if you have a chance, listen to that Bass Talk Live that talked about it, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back to the scheduling thing. So as somebody who's been like a tournament director and on tournament committee and dealing with local clubs around here and scheduling and working together, there's situations where you have to overlap and it's unfortunate. I mean, yeah, they probably could have worked around the scheduling conflict of the national championships or the championship series for these college events. But you also have to look at the grand scheme of both organizations' total schedule and maybe it was the only place they could schedule it. So there, unfortunately, there are circumstances like that when it comes to scheduling tournaments to where you have issues like this arise. Could it be that it's a conflict deal and they're trying to create like a perfect competition scenario? I, we want these 200 plus boats here and Bass wants the 200 boats here and they don't want them to fish each other's events. But, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to where did it make sense for those organizations to put those tournaments? And I, I, you don't know if it's a conflict thing or if not, or if it's just a scheduling issue. They just didn't have a place to put it, and it worked into their schedule that way. So, I mean, it is what it is, and anglers are going to fish where they want to fish. And if they yeah. want to do both, they'll fish both. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, stuff does happen, especially when you have so many different trails and don't want to, you know, overlap your own events. So yeah. And permitting issues too, right? Like major organizations always get first pull on permits, but um, it could just have come down to that. There could be a major trail in that section of the country in the lake they wanted to fish that that was the only weekend that was open. So right. there's a lot that goes into it and sponsorship and money coming in from the township for that tournament to come into as well. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of outside forces we don't see. That's a really good point. Yeah. Boys, anything else we should uh, let the folks know uh, beyond the uh, Hobie eyewear sale going on for the next two weeks and you guys got left. Uh, just a few bass guide trips. Hopefully I'm going to try to get my boat out tomorrow or wednesday finally after getting it back from the shop and then i'm pretty much just steelhead fishing so nice, nice. yeah got a lot of steelhead guy trips it's been fun had joe uh was at la barbara today so it was fun yeah yeah second yeah, day dude. with the float That's rod sweet. ever uh it was fun watching him fight a fish 
That's awesome. Yeah, guys, uh, for folks that are still tuning in or if you're listening on MP3, uh, from now, you know, today until November 14th, you can get 35% off of your order uh, over at Hobie Eyewear using code SERIOUS35. We'll put that in again, and we'll uh, we'll put it in the show description, and also you guys can uh, access it. We'll put it up on social media. Uh, but saving 35% off of your order. Uh, so great time to get stuff for family, friends for Christmas, great stocking stuffers. And then also we got some pretty cool uh, Christmas giveaway stuff from Hobie Highway coming up in the next month. But uh, make sure you guys take advantage of that 35% off because they're already an affordable price for how high performance they are. So you got to take advantage Dude. of the 35%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 35% huge. They're, they're really good for the price point that they're at. I'd put them up there with my $300 Oakley's I've owned. So mm-hmm. they're absolutely incredible for the price point. If you're a, a shallow guy, a guy that likes to sight fish too, make sure you guys are getting some sight master lenses because those are insane. Oh, and I mean, shameless plug in my guide service. I'll they're be using the them only- to have a man. It's mm-hmm. awesome. They're the only ones I wear when I'm on the trout stream because I can pick fish out normally that I couldn't see with other lenses. So they are good. Heck yeah. Deacon, you got anything left for the folks before we tune out? No, man. Um, I'm headed to Havasu next week for an ABA championship. Um, that'll be cool. I saw that Ish Monroe and um, Roy Hawk fished the last one there. Ish just won a boat fishing one of those ABAs up at Clear Lake. So I'm curious to see if those guys will be there. It's cool. There's always some Western hammers like in, on these on these one-off kind of championship events. That's how those guys out West um, have always done it. So hopefully uh, hopefully do well there. And, uh, man, yeah, after that, then head to see you follow. So a busy, a busy end of the year when I'm normally done fishing right about now. So I'm curious to see how this late fall stuff will yeah. pan out. Good luck, man. Yeah, dude. Good luck. Obviously, we'll be rooting for you. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see some of the travels and hopefully some uh, some dubs come from Deacon. Dubs by Deacon. Dubs by Deacon. Man, dude, if I if I win one and I have it on video, absolutely that'll be the title. That'll be the title <laughs> for you. Dubs. <laughs> All right, folks, dubs we appreciate Deacon. you guys tuning in. <laughs> we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.